Hello, keepers, and welcome back to a new episode of the Clubsome Podcast. We're your host, Marcus Sundin, and alongside me is Alexander Brams, as always. Today, we're joined by a new guest, Abdel Rodriguez. Welcome to the podcast. Thank you, guys. Thank you for having me. It's been a, a long time coming, so I'm excited. It's a pleasure to have you on. Today, we're going to talk a little bit about youth development. We all, three mm-hmm. of us, is very dedicated in goalkeeper coaching and the coaching community. Uh, but before we jump into that, can you briefly, for the listeners out there, make a short introduction to who you are and where your dedication and passion for goalkeeping stems from? Definitely, definitely. My name is Abdel Rodriguez. Like, you know, we mentioned earlier, I'm located in Las Vegas, Nevada. I am born in Mexico, in Durango, Mexico. And I come from playing out there through academy, tier three, then moving into the States and from then on beginning my collegiate career playing here. And then from then on, you know, with the Cronus story and everything that comes from that. So a lot of my, my backing and coaching comes from my playing times out there and, um, you know, being around those high-end coaches and stuff like that. Yeah. And uh, you briefly mentioned Cronus as well. Um, you're the man behind the, the brand. You have Academy camp and gloves. Can you uh, briefly go through that as well, what the Cronit stands for and, yeah, why you decided to start your own goalkeeping brand? Yeah, I mean, it, it was a weird thing, you know, um, being born in a, in a very low-income family, you know, uh, gloves are always something that you had to stretch out. Um, and it wasn't until I got to college that I got my first pair of, you know, professional gloves or something high-end, you know, up until that point I was buying, you know, $20 things from like a sports store or whatever it is, you know? So when I got to my first year in college, it's when the first time that I kind of experimented with possibly being able to get gloves for myself, you know, I wanted to get something um, high end that I was able to, to afford, but, you know, not have to go through the big brands like the cells or sports and stuff like that. So from then on, you know, I just kind of created um, five, 10 pairs for myself and that itself generated, um, generated itself to become what Cronus is today. Um, you know, so this was back in 2012. And then through the long times of starting with Cronus, you know, we've been able to acquire Cronus Academies in five different states in the country. We have, you know, one of the most successful and the most um, hardest camp to get into, which is located in Erie, PA. We, it's an invite-only camp that we were able to bring in approximately 110 kids. You know, they're not all at, together at the same time, but Throughout the three-week span, there there's about 33 kids, uh, adults as well. You know, week one is open to uh, professionals and Division One uh, athletes. And we're able to bring all those kids together to, you know, in, in our eyes and in my eyes, the, the idea behind it was to bring them into one area where the national team and all these college recruits can just go to one place and from there pick, pick and choose, you know, one of the biggest um, – downfalls in the in in our country is the fact that it's so massive right and it's so hard to find talent from everywhere so a lot of times we tend to just go to the states that are the most populated therefore we assume that they're going to be the best ones there so we go to the californias the texas the new yorks the floridas but you miss out on kids and you know in my in my in my state you know like nevada or in you know kansas or arkansas those smaller states that don't have that much exposure and those kids never get, you know, any exposure from that. So thankfully, we're able to bring some of the top talent into one place. And from then on, you know, the recruitment begins from there. Or the scouting begins from there. 
interesting because uh, when we when we sat down and planned this um, podcast episode with with you, you mainly said that within youth development and developing young goalkeepers, your main focus is uh, kids from seven to thirteen, and mm-hmm. uh, I wonder why is that your main focus? Is this the age group where you feel like the goalkeepers can develop the most uh, and that's why you have your main focus there or is it something completely different? So a little bit about myself. I was, um, I have a sister that has cerebral palsy, right? So for those that don't know, cerebral palsy is a condition that affects the motor skills of, uh, of the individual. Sometimes it could be um, motor skills simply with talking, with the way you move your, your, your hands, your feet your legs, whatever it is. And in her case, she has cerebral palsy where she can't speak nor walk or have um, coordination. So she's in a wheelchair full time. Throughout being, you know, with her throughout my whole life, there's been a lot of uh, patience and a lot of psychology work that has came um, through me, through her. And I found myself as a more successful coach during the phase one of development. You know, a lot of times, it seems like the better we get as coaches, we want to prove ourselves at the highest level, which is professional or which is, you know, in, in the in the case where most um, coaches in the U.S. are at the Division One world, right? But we've, we tend to forget that some of the best coaches, even, you know, um, uh, a team like um, Bayern, some of the best coaches are actually in their youth level, right? They're, they're in with the young kids because it's one of the hardest, the hardest role to be able to find a kid develop the kid into the culture into the system to then pass them on to add in the other kind of things that come into the the game right the tactical side not so much anymore the technical side right and those are the things that I myself have just been fond about I think anyone um, that wants to prove themselves can prove themselves by simply going into the age pool of phase one development and see if you can help develop a more successful goalkeeper than going into you know the ages of 16, 17, 18, and from then on trying to, you know, coach them at that point, right? I think there's a biggest, there's a really big difference in, at least in, in the country of the U.S. of goalkeeper trainers and goalkeeper coaches, right? There's, de- there's people that develop and some guys that just, that just train and, and, uh, and just train and, and just, you know, hit balls or whatever with kids who are already developed, you know? So for me, for myself, I have found love in coaching in the, and the younger age groups. And it's what I fully enjoy. Now, that being said, it doesn't mean that, you know, I have my, 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 um, my resume with USL pro with division one, both on men's and women. So those are kind of things that I haven't shied away from, but if you're going to give me an age pool, I would love always to stay with the younger guys. Oh yeah. I'm, I'm on the same page at the moment, currently uh, coaching some uh, young goalkeepers here in the Grand Rapids community as well. And uh, the age group I'm currently coaching is from 12 till 15. So it's mm-hmm. almost the same age group. And I just feel like they show some kind of passion and willingness to learn that is just so inspiring as a coach myself as well. So I completely agree with you um, because when you are a coach and you, you want to obviously learn yourself as well, you learn from these kids as, as well from seeing their passion and seeing the willingness again, yeah, to learn. So um, talking about your, your camps as well, you said that it's every age group, uh, but it's tough to get into. 
So do you have like requirements for goalkeepers in order for them to to get into your, your camp? They need to play at a certain level or is it open for everyone who wants to join your academy? So the way the camp goes is you have to submit a resume. With that resume, you have to submit two, um, what's it called? Kind of like, um, you know, um, two people, two coaches that can vouch what you're saying of who you are. We do ask that they're playing at least at a minimum at a certain level. Now, that being said, you know, you can't compare Las Vegas DA to Texas DA, right? So that being said, you we can't require that you have to be a DA goalkeeper or a, you know whatever it is now GA goalie whatever it is because depending on city to city the level fluctuates right so we do require a certain level that a lot of times it's just us to understand what level you're playing but the biggest thing for us is those um, those recommendations right the recommendations from other coaches that we do know and we could trust that we could say that, oh, we could call this coach and understand, hey, is this actually a good goalkeeper that could come in? The biggest thing from the camp is, you know, so far in our, what is it now? This is going to be our sixth or seventh year doing it. We've had two national team, two kids per year leave from our camp straight to the national team, right? So those are things that have opened the doors tremendous to a lot of kids. Um, we actually had a girl um, last year who from camp flew out, didn't finish camp, flew out and then was doing the Nike invitationals that they did um, right after that with some of the other uh, Nike countries, right? So the biggest thing is, can we keep the quality based off what one high end coach that are going to scout are, are looking for? And two, that we can keep the quality from, you know, from goalkeeper one to goalkeeper two to goalkeeper three, that they're in a very similar place. So that way the competition stays high, right? The last thing we want is to open this up and just have kids who are maybe at a very, very low level of development and other guys that are maybe high level. And at that point, we're just kind of running a, you know, a babysitting camp or, you know, a keeper war camp or whatever you want to do at that point. Right. So what we try to do is really run something that is as competitive and as, um, as unique as possible, depend always with quality. Yeah. I, I really like that because that's something that I've tried several times where you've gone to to some trainings or something and then you've had different ability of goalkeeper i both tried myself but i've also tried coaching because then you have two seven-year-olds and the one has his first practice ever and the other one has his 100th practice and there's a huge difference in Massive, yeah. learning how to catch the ball and someone who's done it for a year or two or something like that so that's i really like that i've tried that before where i had some seven, eight, nine, ten-year-olds all together in one group, and that's a mm -hmm. big span and a hard practice to do. So, so when talking about developing your kids, what is like the foundation? Because if we talk about the Danish style, the foundation is handling, footwork, positioning. That's the foundation mm -hmm. that I grew up with a bit. Marcus has probably done the same. It's in the book that I got whenever I took my GK license in Denmark. There's a book yeah. on how to do it. Of course, I don't follow that. Um, but obviously, I did when I first started taking it. But I've grown and learned. But that, there is actually a book. You get a book in Denmark on how to be a goalkeeper. Uh, and there is never a book. So how, what is your foundation of work when you go to, to the camps, the academies, and so on? Yeah, so look... Um... 
one, one of the biggest things, and uh, when I first started Cronus, uh, the academy, I should say, was that, you know, it's not just Danish, you know, um, requirements, but it's, it's requirements across the country, across the world, where it's always positioning, handling, and then, you know, whatever other else elements you want to have. One of the downsides that I have learned early on was that you can't do that in the U.S., right? You can't force that. Why? Because unfortunately here, kids have to pay for training. So in reality versus, you know, when I was in Mexico, I was with the goalkeeper coach four or five times a week. So how can I have a kid at, like you said, age seven, who's doing their first training session and another seven kid who's doing their 100th training session catch up when maybe one kid can only afford to pay for example, once a week, and the other kid can, parents maybe can afford to pay four or five times, right? This is where my style, the way I was developed in Mexico versus, you know, one of my biggest mentors, his name is Anton Trifonovs, who played um, in Russia. He has an Eastern European development. He has a UEFA A license, all that crazy stuff, was that we were able to talk and develop a plan where you throw away the things that take longer early on and you bring in the things that the kids can master faster early on, right? So for example, we don't spend so much time on positioning, on handling, because it's not economically efficient if the kid is only training one time, right? So if you bring me a kid and he's, or he or she are with me four times a week, but I'm wasting so much time on just telling them where to start, where to stand, here's my ball, catch my ball, but yet again, maybe in two, three months, the kid grows and here we go again. And I have to adjust everything again with their new height or whatever's coming. It's a lot of lost time. And if you ever have looked into U.S. development, a lot of times they, they focus on developing the goalkeeper around the age of 12, 13. And to me, you can't say no to a seven-year-old kid who says, I'm a goalie now. Because it's rare. You and I may know this. I mean, I don't know your story, but. I didn't want to be a goalie. You know, that was not my number one place to be, right? I was, I grew into it and then I loved it. But early on, I want to be out there with the rest of the guys scoring goals, right? So when a kid that's seven, that's six, that's five tells you I'm a goalkeeper and this is all I watch and all I see is Ter Sagan and you are, and I want to be like Ederson, you can't say no to that kid. But you have to understand as a coach that they themselves can't catch a ball, right? They're so little, you can't kick it. Even if you throw it, it may be too fast but you can show other things that mobility wise or that time efficiently wise, you'll be able to get more out of, right? So for us, the biggest thing is, can we teach movements in a biomechanical way? Can we focus on mobility? And can we focus on what we call our 300 rep rule, right? Can I get kid one to do 300 reps within my one session? Where if that's the only time he or she comes with me that once, that once a week, they will probably get more repetitions out of this training session versus the average training session. Where on average, if you ever looked about, it's about 75 reps for that hour, right? So in that way, the way we developed was if, for example, if, a, if kid A goes with another goalkeeper coach and trains four times a week, but their rep range is 300 reps after the whole week and keeper B is with, you know, what we call the course methodology, gets it in one day. Well, in our eyes, it's equal, right? With the less times that they can be there, the more they'll grow. And then if you add in where the average kid trains two times a, a week, then we're able to then excel. And a lot of the, the times you'll see the larger growth when they're little, because a lot of times 
we get rid of goalkeepers or kids who aren't mobile, who aren't big, who can't move because it's such a struggle, right? And coaches get um, get annoyed, maybe get frustrated. And they're like, I can't do this, right? Next kid. Oh, this one's really good. Why? Because they can already move. But you can teach that. You can maneuver that. And then you develop a wave, right? Right now, for example, in Las Vegas, out of my academy here in Vegas, we have about 10, 2007 goalkeepers that right now from eight to from one to 10, all 10 will be in MLS academies next year. Right. And all of those kids have been with me for now approximately six years. So when you look at the fact that they're turning 14 this year, right, they've been with me since they were kids. They know more, more of the development with the Cronus way without it. And because of this, now we have academies outside of, the, of Vegas pick and choosing from this group. Why? And it's, it's not because they're all natural athletes, but it's because the method that works when they're little excels them right away. And then we add in the other stuff, right? Then we add the positioning. Then we add in the handling. And a lot of times, you know, coaches will tell us, hey, they can't catch a ball. Yes, they can't catch a ball. I'll give you that. But I can teach a kid to catch a ball in two months when they're, you know, older and developed versus when they're seven years old and still can't, you know, like we say, walk and chew gum at the same time. I I like that. Uh, it's different. Um, very different. Very different. I, yeah, but 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 somehow I like it because you you see a lot of people, a lot of keepers who who, as you say, can't move. Well, and then you see, I've seen crazy athletic guys, but who can't catch. Uh, mm-hmm. I've I've seen both, and I don't know what I like the most, but uh, it's 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 really funny. But but talking about right now, I also have some some private trainings where I thought like they come, they paid that much for one hour. I can't use 25 minutes of what my old goalkeeper coach used on me because I had goalkeeper practice three times a week. I, I can't use 25 minutes on the ground sitting doing different exercises. I have to get this guy moving, moving, moving his feet, moving hands, get the balls in, get the dives in. So, so yeah, I get that. Um, that when, from the economic uh, point of view that you said that um, that you have to, yeah, the 300 reps make, make sense. So that was a, yeah. yeah. You, you have to, you have to adjust in the culture that you're in. And, and a lot of times it's a downside because I mean, I'm 28 when you add in, you know, other guys who maybe are 50, 60 and are used to training a certain way in, you know, in Denmark or in Russia or whatever, and they want to bring it here. It doesn't work. It'll, it'll never work because n- not many families can afford to, un- to pay for someone's services four or five times, right, per week. On top of that, even if I can't afford it, well, can I make it? Because I also, you know, let's say I work and then my kid also has a game. Can they still get there, right? Am I living in California where it takes forever to get everywhere, right? So all these things come into play. And that's why it's so important for people to understand that you have to adjust. And if you can't adjust, unfortunately that's how we develop a lot of bad goalkeepers right that we assume are good but we could be better right as a country as a whole as you that someone that lived in the la area you see the cream of the crop in la right and i've always wondered how many kids just in la how many goalkeepers you know with lomeli how many goalkeepers are there that potentially could have been somewhere else in this world if it was in a way for us to find a way where If all you can do is afford one or two, or even if I'm gifting you the sessions, one or two, with those two sessions, it's enough for me to get you out, right? And that you're just not there. 
playing for the local clubs. Maybe if you're lucky, you get into the Galaxy, you know, where at least there it's a different system. But, you know, with two, just two teams in California, with L.A., sorry, it's too hard for the rest of them, right? Where are the rest of them going to go? Are they just going to play the normal club soccer, get to college, and then that's it, right? But with the amount of 20 million people in L.A., why is it that we don't have that many? And unfortunately, in my opinion, it's that. It's the fact that we want to bring a culture from other countries and assume it's the same when the culture isn't like that here. You know, you go to Paris, you walk anywhere in 30 minutes, you hit, what, six, six to eight different pro clubs. Yeah. You walk here 30 minutes, I don't even know if I get across the street with the traffic, right? So the culture is different. And based off that, development has to be adjusted. Yeah, I definitely agree. And, and yeah, as you said, being in L.A., Uh, I was fortunate enough to be with Lomeli for around mm-hmm. about a year and it was great, but there might be kids who, who can't afford it, who can't do that, who doesn't get the invite, who, as you said, there's two, no, there's one pro academy in LA and then there's a lot of small clubs who are good where they pay, as Slatan have said, they pay so much, like mm-hmm. several thousands per half year. In Denmark, you pay maximum $200 for half a year and then mm-hmm. you get four practices a week plus you can get a bus for a waitress when you get u17 u19 plus you get like physios and everything like that like we, mm-hmm. i think my parents paid 170 bucks and i got goalkeeper practice three times a week and four yeah. practices a week and a game and clothing and yeah it's there's a massive difference and a mass, massive economical difference between yeah i would say europe and and the us which is another it's- problem but yeah <laughs> You know, and, and, and again, like for Lomeli, I met Lomeli. It was my first year as a college coach, and I think it was his second year. And this could have been anywhere between 2016, 2015 time. And I remember we we go, we meet, he's talking to me about how he coaches. And I'm telling him, like, why do you shoot so much? Like, why are you going to bust your leg, right? And these are things that, again, economically, efficiently, you you have to be able to take care of the coach's body as well and not just only the athletes, right? If I, as a coach, have to shoot just to you 300 reps, but the other guy also needs his 300 reps, I'm not going to last. And these are things that, again, coaches need to be able to, to develop in the culture that we're in. How can I do it? And a lot of times it goes back to, like I said, if we start them early, seven to 12, and we develop a foundation that is unique because our country is unique in the way we develop kids, then we can move on to, you know, what Marcus was saying in the 13 to 15 year old range where now it's different, right? Now we can add more stuff. Now we can excel kids and not what, you know, a lot of times, unfortunately, most kids, they start becoming full-time goalkeepers at 13. Completely agree. And um, talking about this comparison, obviously Alexander and I are from Denmark, both played in the color system in America and you growing up in America playing in the color system as well. It's it might be a change of topic, but I've I've been wondering. I think it's a great opportunity to to go to college and both get a degree and play at a high level of of soccer. Mm. But at the same time, I think it slows down your personal development, uh, both as an outfield player and as as a goalkeeper. Uh, obviously, because you have this separated season where you have your season in the fall and then you have the whole off season in the spring. And um, what are your thoughts on this? Because uh, obviously this is not as much youth as you work with right now. We talk about guys from 18 till 22, also all the guys in college. But um, 
I feel like that's an aspect where maybe America is a bit behind Europe because um, in college, I just feel like the development isn't as good as it could be compared to you have guys getting the chance in Europe uh, with, with great clubs and you see them expand and develop way faster than we see over here. What are your thoughts on, on that growing up in the American system as well? So, you know, during my time as a division one coach, one of the things, even as a player, I should say as a player, you understand as a player, you assume you pick a program based off. This is where I'm going to improve the most, right? The reality is that I don't think there's a college program out there that develops their, their goal, their, their players, period. I don't think 18 to 22 year old kids develop anywhere. I think how you develop or how you grow is you face tougher opponents, right? So like, um, like anyone else in, in like, a, what is it? The, the Big Ten Conference, right? You're playing Michigan. You're playing all those top teams, which in quotations have some of the best kids. Therefore, the duels on a day-to-day should, should make you better. But training-wise, I don't think there's a program out there that is actually taking their time, using the resource to develop the kids more. Because if we're talking about development at 18, a lot of times we, what they're lacking is just psychological, psychological training on how to handle, okay, I came from playing, you know, every single game in my club or in whatever academy I was in. Now I'm here at, let's just say, I don't know, UCLA, and now I'm not playing, right? How do you, how do you handle that athlete? And it's not about what they do on the field, unfortunately. A lot of times it's just simple things like seniority, right? The guy who's older is going to play for whatever reason. To me, it's not development. To me, all it is is you improve physically, you improve with experiences, and you improve with the situations that is faced in the game. When you move on now, as me during my time as a coach, I understood that the reality was that I had two weeks to figure out who was going to be the guy who was going to make the less mistakes as within those two weeks. And then from then on, there's not time to grow, right? There's not time to improve them. There's times there, there's um, there's only enough time, if anything, to maintain them and to help them out with what mistakes are happening or what little things can we can we face? Because like you said, the turnaround is quick. Right. We would fly back, let's say Sunday night, maybe Monday is recovery day for us here at my division one here. Tuesday would be off Wednesday, Thursday, full on training sessions. Right. And then either you're playing Friday or you're traveling again. So there's not time to develop at all there. There's only time to maintain. There's time to develop technically in the spring. But unfortunately, again, I think we have this mindset um, as in the American culture of bigger, stronger, faster. So. What do they do in the spring? You add in more weights, right? You go from maybe one day on weights to now three weights or whatever it is. And in a way, you're in this constant cycle of I'm trying to improve. I'm getting all these games. Now I'm not playing because I'm not starting. Now I'm lifting a lot. And now my body is changing and you're just going through this cycle. So to me, I don't think it's it's a waste of those four years. It can always be better. It can, in any situation, things can be better. But the reality is that there's times like you guys that have faced another culture and come in. Okay. You guys know a different culture, but for a lot of kids who this is all they know, well, this is the system because in every other sport, it's, it's the same exact thing, right? What could be better? What I would love to see in a division one program is I would love to see nutritionists full times and maybe a psychologist. I understand that one is different because you have to bring that for every single sport, but nutritionists would be nice instead of just saying, yeah, eat some chicken and rice and you're good to go. Right. 
Because a lot of times you don't know that. A lot of a lot of kids coming in from high school kids come in. It's the first time that they're alone. It's the first time that they have independence. And now they're eating KFC because it's three, four dollars for a chicken burger or whatever it is. And that's their fuel, right? And then that translates to reality where maybe in other cultures, you understand you can't eat that. You understand that you shouldn't be eating that. You understand that the older guys are usually, you know, helping you out, right? You can be in a locker room with you being 18 and the next guy's 34. And those guys are usually somewhat trying to give you some sort of feedback versus the college system. Unfortunately, I once heard someone say, there's no time to make friends. I'm in and I'm out, right? And that's the culture within the locker rooms a lot of times because guys are trying to go pro. Some other guys are trying to get minutes. Some other guys are trying to keep their scholarship, right? So there's always something that you can gain and, and, and lose. And unfortunately, it doesn't give you enough time to do much. And if we talk about, you know, the Juco world, well, that one is, is pretty crazy as well. Yeah, completely agree. That's, uh, that's spot on. Especially I can, I can agree on every single thing you just said there. I experienced it myself. Uh, but we, we can talk about that for ages. And that was a completely different topic as well. Um, we want to go a little bit back to, to your background within goal, mm. goalkeeping and more importantly, gloves as well, because due to our name, Gloves On, we always ask our guests about favorite gloves and why, but I think you are pretty biased on this uh, <laughs> question. So yeah. let's talk about obviously cronies and let's talk about your favorite gloves within your own brand. Uh, what What is your strengths on within your brand? You know, w- one of the things early on that, I try to um, to make myself unique. A, a lot of times, you know, there, there, there's no big difference from whatever glove you wear to the next one, right? To be honest, I, I think the, the only main difference is the fact of, you know, the design and what design you like. That's it. And, and your cut. But besides that, the quality that I can consume is probably the same quality than whatever other brand there is. What I did and what still to this day I did early on was I thought of how can I make a glove that the moment that you try it for the first time immediately makes you say, hey, this is actually legit. So what I did and what, I, what we still do to this day is that we actually invest a lot more money in keeping and restocking our latex versus restocking whole rolls and having them on standby. Um, because for me, I assumed that fresher latex meant, means better quality, longer lasting gloves, right? So there's no Cronus glove that is on the shelf that is sitting in my warehouse longer than five weeks, right? So from the moment it is packaged from the roll to the moment it arrives to the warehouse, no longer than five weeks, right? We don't mass produce. We produce enough for probably that month and we reproduce every single month. So that way, whatever you're getting, you know that at the longest, it was produced two weeks ago. And a lot of our gloves sometimes even arrive a little bit moist, sometimes arrive even with this hard chemical smell from the factory from the latex because it's so fresh and that was my thing that made me unique earlier on right I learned that I wasn't producing or I wasn't selling gloves I was trying to capture its attraction I was trying to capture someone to give me the trust and the moment I had it how can I how can I pay you back by you giving me your trust with the item I was giving you and that was the only way right paying higher prices importing at higher rates but understanding that this is my only way to be able to compete, right? And to me, that's what made it. And still to this day, makes it unique. If you understand what the big glove brands, I mean, there's gloves out there from 2019 
that, you know, Fullerton and College had that released this year for Nike, right? So you assume how long has that been out? How long have they been mass producing those gloves? How long have they been sitting in shelves before they got to retailers and then until they got to your hands? And to be frank, sometimes it's a year, right? So you're using a glove that's technically a year old, but to you just came out a week ago. And for me, that was my only way to compete, right? You can't compete with names when you start off. You can't compete with money because maybe you don't have any, maybe you don't have investors, whatever it is. But I was willing to lose in order for you to be able to say, you know what, this, this glove that we made, that we, that we just got from this whatever company, Cronus, that some kid just started was worth it because the quality is so high. And the only way to do that was to be able to give you the freshest latex that we can find. And we also have to mention that you uh, recently recreated with the Modern Day GK non-grid gloves zero. Uh, mm -hmm. And we had, we have for the listeners out there can go back into one of our previous episodes, listen to the episode we did with Lee Robinson from the Modern Day GK talking about um, how they created, you guys created the zero glove and how it can improve goalkeeping. But Abdel, thank you for uh, taking the time today and being a part of the podcast. No, no, thank you guys for having me. You know, it's been a, a great time. And, you know, I think every topic that we spoke about is its own little episode, you know, so it's fantastic to have you guys and for you guys to have me on your show and, you know, you guys to stay up what? almost to 10 p.m. for for the Vegas time or whatever it is, you know, so thank you guys more than anything. It's always a pleasure to talk about goalkeeping. And for the listeners out there, make sure to check out Abdel's brand, Camp and Academy at Cronus and Zero as well. And make sure to follow Alexander on Danish Goalkeeping, myself at Goalkeeper Dane, and of course, the Gloves On podcast. Talk to you soon.